Whip it from the top. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the first ever RT podcast. We're recording from the 27th floor of our headquarters down in Lower Manhattan. My name is Isaac Kaplan. I'm an editorial associate here at Artsy. I'm joined by Molly Gottschalk. Hey, Isaac. And Alex Forbes. Hey, Isaac. And we are going to talk about art and what's on our mind. First up, we're going to be t- chatting a little bit about Ai Weiwei, who is unsurprisingly in the news again, this time for his art activism what really is it related to syrian refugees and the syrian crisis um then we're going to chat a little bit about molly's instagram story which i don't know if you've read it but it has been incredibly popular and we want to take this opportunity to kind of delve into behind the scenes what interests you about uh instagram uh and photojournalism which is the crux of the the crux of the narrative and molly's going to share her thoughts on that and lastly we're going to talk about what we're looking forward to in the art world in the coming weeks. So first we're gonna talk about Ai Weiwei. He's been in the news as he always is, but recently he's caught headlines for his art, activism, narcissism, I don't know, we'll talk about that, uh, regarding the Syrian conflict and the refugee crisis. It dates back a little bit to when a law was passed in Denmark, I think last month, that kind of stripped refugees of valuables above a certain amount. Ai Weiwei pulled out of his exhibition in the country. Subsequently, he posed for a photo. He posed as the drowned Syrian refugee in that iconic photograph that that sort of really galvanized a lot of people many many months ago. And recently, he passed out uh, like those metal blankets at a gala. Like space blankets. The space blankets at a gala, which are often given. You know, you see refugees and other people sort of covered in them after a trauma or something like that and of course these people weren't refugees he was giving them to they were incredibly wealthy celebrities and other and other stars and this is kind of met with sort of mixed feelings uh on there's like as everything i does there's two poles to this i guess alex you're the news guy What's your what's your read of the landscape on the reaction to this? Well, I mean, I don't even know if, if everything that Ai Weiwei has done has been polarizing necessarily, except if you're maybe the Chinese government. With the refugee question, I mean, it started when he set up this this studio in Lesbos, the Greek island, which has been seeing a lot of refugees um, since the Syrian conflict began. I think, you know, even starting with that kind of, the, just the sheer fact that he was setting up a studio there, it comes after he had moved from... Um, China to have, you know, I guess what is his main studio, though he keeps a studio in Berlin, but he, you know, people started to get a little bit antsy about, okay, is this exploitative? Is it helpful, et cetera, when, when he started doing art in Greece? You know, as it's kind of moved on, I think people have gotten more and more frustrated with this question of like, not only does it kind of conceal the the tragedy of, or not conceal, but fail to kind of properly highlight the tragedy of, of what's happening in Syria and the plight of the refugees that have been spread across Europe, but, you know, especially with this latest photograph and with the, with the space blanket incident, it just gets a bit kind of like a stereotype of itself, I think some people would say. Nonetheless, it does feed quite directly into his personal history. And so I think like that's a point that people have kind of maybe failed to fully take into account or have glossed over in their readiness with a hot take to kind of condemn his uh, his activism on this issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I may be a little bit more skeptical towards it. I, I think that 
you know, when, when we, we have to really think about why there is this refugee crisis happening. And remember that it is, like you, you said, two things. There's, this, there's the war in Syria and there's a refugee crisis, and they're related, obviously, but they're, they're two huge sort of geopolitical events that are, that are sort of reverberating through Europe and the Middle East in, in major ways. I just don't totally know what he was hoping to achieve when he lay down on a beach and posed as a real dead child I, I like what's that gonna what's that gonna do? I don't think you always have art always has to be like draw from line A to point B. You know this is the goal, but you know that's such a that that feels like such a huge sort of act. And it's not that there needs to be awareness about the Syrian refugee crisis in Europe. I think everyone everyone knows. I'm just a little I that that's sort of where my doubt comes in. You know like what what's going on here? Why why is he doing? Everybody this? knows, but I feel like you know over the past few years, you know coming up on. Maybe close to five or six of the war. Yeah, and I mean now we're coming up on some kind of pseudo peace accord. Yeah, Um, but there's been as what I'd say is you know an unfortunate but nonetheless real kind of inertia or or not inertia but waning sympathy. Mm -hmm. And so for you know any figure, I mean I think you've seen it with other celebrities uh, outside of the art world, whether it's. I don't really know my celebrities very well, but people people <laughs> do this kind of stuff. Um, Charlie Theron was in a blanket in one of the photographs, I think. You know, yeah. There, yeah. There's definitely like a, a culture of celebrity kind of that does kind of put a face to these issues that people kind of forget about. And I think particularly because Ai Weiwei, when he was one year old, I think got banished to the the north of China because his father was was a kind of outspoken individual and intellectual in the country. Um, they lived in a hole at one point, and so I think his, his kind of personal narrative does play into this in a certain way where it's understandable that he would be so outraged, and I think he said in a recent interview that we had with him on the site that he couldn't imagine a worse fate other than death or, or, or something to that effect. Um, no, I, I don't doubt, and I think it's probably difficult to doubt his personal commitment to the issue, but I wonder if what he's doing is at all truly helpful. No but do you think it's on. unhelpful? In some ways, I think it could be unhelpful if it makes people think that all they need to do to fix something is pay attention and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And, oh, I feel bad. You know, that's not that's not going to do it. And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, the paragon of <laughs> getting out there and making a, a huge difference. But I think it's also important to just recognize the limitations of of what attention can actually do. Um, but isn't that kind of recognizing the limitations of activism? No, general? no, 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 no. I don't think so. I think because like he's he's an activist actor. He's just more, a more public one than well, kind of a mass horse. Sure, I think. It, but I think what the difference would be would be mobilizing some sort of like tangible act, like some sort of collective sort of action from not just celebrities. I mean, I, I'm 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 not trying to say that attention is a bad thing necessarily but i think like when this conflict goes on for five years we sort of have to ask ourselves why is it still like why is it still going on and it's not because we don't know about it it's not because we don't feel like it's terrible it's it's other things you know right but i mean like i don't think art or any kind of grassroots movement is going to move is going to like drastically sway the massive geopolitical interests that go into maintaining a war in syria sure that's totally fair but i do think that that doesn't negate the criticism that Ai Weiwei is limited by like this very tangible reality. I mean, how do you mean? When when someone is making that action and, and to my mind taking the place of like a real human being who really died on that beach, there needs to be a reason. Like I need to sort of really understand 
why that happened beyond we're not talking about it anymore because there are other ways to get someone to talk about something that don't involve that there are other ways to get people to talk about things that don't involve handing out blankets to celebrities there are other ways to get people to talk about things and sometimes when you focus on spectacle it worries me because we lose sight of what is actually being talked about and i kind of want to bring in molly because we've been sort of just going back and forth about this but Molly. You know what you were saying about why did he take the picture? What was his motive in posing that way? I think it goes back to what Alex said. Like he's like he's a person that people are very familiar with. People respect him as an artist. They tend to listen to him. So he's bringing your attention to a person who died on a beach. Like they're no longer living to tell their story and it's it's humanizing the situation in a way where you're connecting to him. Um, or the celebrities who are wrapped up in the space blankets. Yeah, but to me, that's like, why are we connecting to them? Because we live in like an online media landscape that lives off of like memes and and sensationalist (laughs) content. I mean, like, you know, you you like you watch the media landscape like closely. I have a Twitter. If that's uh, if that's what you're saying, you have a Twitter. You know, you see what blows up on social media, and I think that virality component that speaks to social media is something that he's playing with and playing with it pretty handily. It's unfortunate that we need such drastic measures to get people to pay attention to such an important issue, um, especially if people are starting to get fatigued hearing about something for so many years in the news. Um, whether or not it's a effective thing to have people talking about something, you know, they've been talking about the same issues for years and nothing's changing. I think it's better than not talking about it. Yeah. You know, I think as long as they're, you're engaging people, you're connecting with them, they're seeing that image, they're seeing Ai Weiwei, maybe mm-hmm. they're thinking even for a second longer about these people, I think that's really important. Well, sure. and I guess, Isaac, too, I, I put a question to you, like, I think you're a very strong believer in art's ability to affect change. Yes. And so, what is it about Ai Weiwei doing it that makes you prickle that when a community organization makes art to make change, it doesn't make makes you really excited. I think that the difference to me is that Ai Weiwei is to my mind like a celebrity, so that there's sort of this like glamour and attention and intrigue that f- sort of clashes with the subject matter. So when like a community activist or community organizer goes out there and like pulls up their pulls up their socks and like just gets into it and does stuff and no one's paying attention that to me sort of speaks to the same like it's on the same level as the work that they're doing but when Ai Weiwei kind of stages one of these photographs that feels so divorced from the actual thing that he's talking about it feels so removed that it creates this weird dissonance in me that makes me sort of have these emotions and what well, I, I don't know dis- though i mean i feel like i feel like that's it's fair if you're talking about like jeff coons if you know if he shows up on a syrian beach and poses a, as a dead syrian <laughs> child that's gonna really be a pr nightmare but for ai Weiwei, i mean he, he did live this experience in his own right and i, and I think that like well, you know he's not a syrian artist and and he's certainly using his prominence as an individual to address an issue and raise yes. its profile but I, I don't think that like he's you know he's not like divorced from the issue he didn't necessarily choose to be detained by the Chinese government either and get to be a celebrity because of that um, which is like when he actually broke out into mainstream media 
I also don't think that we should disqualify photography as a tool to communicate with people. I mean, images are very powerful and photography is a medium that people connect to in such a very direct way. Everyone knows images. They're very familiar with the language. So if this is how he's choosing to reach people and communicate with people, I think that that could be really effective. Yeah, no. and, and In a different type me, of way. Let me just hop back for a second and say that like this, you know, my criticism of him comes because I really do think that he is really important and that he comes from a real place of of being oppressed and has experienced like great trauma in his life. And like if this conversation was Ai Weiwei versus Jeff Koons, what have they done for the Syrian crisis? You know, I don't think we'd be having so much of a so much of a debate. True. Um, but I do think that there is a difference between and I wrote a whole piece about photographs of Syria, those photographs that I saw, which to me were more. Uh, they were taken, a lot of them were taken by Syrians, um, and they sort of spoke in a more humanist, sort of less uh, star-dazzly type way, which made them, to my mind, feel more gen uh, genuine. But, of course, you know, no one paid attention to that. Like, right. How many people do you think saw those images? Very few thousand. I mean, we, we know it wasn't, it wasn't millions um i won't give you the precise number yeah of course i know and, and i think maybe you know my my sort of i'm feeling it's bumming me out a little <laughs> <laughs> don't get bummed out isaac it's, oh, it's all thanks okay. okay well you know what will cheer me up molly yes so i guess we kind of talked about this a little bit teased at it a little bit in the highway way story but Instagram is changing photojournalism. You wrote a piece about this for us a few weeks ago from North Korea to Baltimore. Instagram is fostering the next generation of photojournalists. You kind of talk about this big arc, this shift that's happening uh, in the photojournalism world where, you know, aided by technology, photojournalists are taking to Instagram and kind of revolutionizing the way we see major breaking news events, but also operating in this like long tradition where cameras have gotten more portable and been distributed to gradually more and more people and now there's just you know big photojournalists and and people who just live where current events are happening are are ending up on in major publications uh through instagram so i guess maybe you can just start by talking about your take on this and and what you know what's the major takeaway from from this shift is it a shift um i think it's definitely a shift and it's happened, you know, only in the past couple of years with the invention of Instagram. Um, but I think, you know, what I was initially thinking about when I started uh, researching this story was looking at how photographers, you know, back in World War II, you had photographers carrying around 50-pound 4x5 cameras through the fields, developing their film, sending it off, you know, back to their editors, having not even seen it. So you had this very, wow. a small number of pictures, you know, shot on film, a very limited view of what was happening and only done by professionals. Um, and, you know, now you, today you have those same combat photographers are in the fields. They also have an iPhone at hand. They can immediately take a picture, publish, you know, share images with the world. You know, it's this very new way of sharing and experiencing the news. I remember the, the anecdote that you said at the beginning of the story um, about David Guttenfelder picking up his phone rather than his, his DSLR, which I think we kind of worked into the headline. So David Guttenfelder is a world-renowned photographer. He's been working as a photojournalist for the past 20 years, a lot of it as a combat photographer. Um, now he works largely for National Geographic. Um, but at this time, this was 
during one of the biggest airstrikes in the history of the Afghan war. And he was on assignment for Associated Press and looking around him at the Marines who were documenting the moment with their iPhones and sort of telling their stories in images that they, they would uh, send back home. And you know, he told me that he was seeing them do that and wanted to take the same pictures and communicate in that same sort of language. So he shot with his iPhone published those pictures and then there was backlash in the industry from people saying you know was he romanticizing the moment by not shooting with his professional camera you know I think he'd use That's the shake so it he'd use the shake it photo app so it has a different feel to the images kind of like a Polaroid um, to him it was making them more intimate um, to others they were questioning you know if it um, disrespected the gravity of the situation of that moment it was a photo taken during war so we were saying by him using the same technology that Marines were using or Army soldiers were using, that was like an act of disrespect rather than sort of like a journalism detachment of a DSLR. Right. Huh. But it's interesting because, you know, that was 2010, and now we're at a moment where everyone uses Instagram. I think the company has 400 million users. You know, it's a language that everyone knows, people interact with every day you wouldn't think twice about seeing an image that was posted by a combat photographer or, you know, even to go back to the Ai Weiwei conversation, you know, it's it's not surprising to see an image like that. I don't think there's that same shock value. It's not surprising, but I think probably what, or, or I would imagine from like a journalistic point of view, what they were taking issue with, at least partially, is kind of like the romanticization of the soldier experience. So while I think like, you know, a lot of what our troops do is really inspiring, there's also a lot of negative press that came out of some troop actions during the Afghan and Iraqi war. And so, you know, that's it, by taking a kind of photojournalistic image, it's, it's kind of telling one side of the story. And it's a little bit more of a photo essay in that way. I mean, I don't know how he was trying to present it at the time, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, that uh, criticism either, but I, I, f I figure that's probably a lot of what they were getting at as well. But I think that's part of what's most exciting to me right now about photojournalism is that side of the story now is so often coming from the inside. So even though, you know, he's an American photographer who was sort of trying to communicate in this way, he was still like there with the Marines, like among them taking these pictures. You know, now you have people with Instagram, with an internet connection, they're able to document their own stories and enter into, you know, the landscape of photojournalism, which is, you know, that entry is much different now. You know, people in Nepal, right after the earthquake, beginning to take pictures of their own reality, their crisis, mm -hmm. and, and telling that story in the same way. So it is, one, it is one perspective, but it's a perspective of a local and a person who's living in it. Yeah, I mean, I also think that, like, the, the photograph on the cover of Time magazine after the Freddie Gray, um, the death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore is just, like, an incredible image that I'm glad exists. Like, I'm glad that that photograph was taken on Instagram because I think it, like, speaks volumes in ways that words might not be able to. So for context, we had, you had this photographer, Devin Allen, in Baltimore who was documenting his own community during the uprisings that happened after Freddie Gray's death. Um, and an editor at Time eventually came across the images, I think, on a hashtag and next thing you know, one of his photographs made it to the cover of Time magazine. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but whenever like some sort of breaking news things happens, I'm, I jump onto Twitter and sort of just like 
see what's up and who's talking. But I think like one of the most interesting things about this story was it really made the convincing argument and like felt really tangibly that Instagram is also a place where real breaking news can can sort of be seen. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, I know I followed about ten people. I mean, including a lot of people in this story um, after it came out and hadn't really thought about Instagram in that way. I mean, I think we've seen, you know, going back a little bit to more our, like, day-to-day of the art world, like, the art world has seen a lot of penetration on Instagram. People mm-hmm. use it to buy and sell art, and I think that's, like, my day-to-day interaction with the platform. Um, but now, not that I'm by any means, like, a, a heavy user of it, but it's really nice to be scrolling through and see, like, very well-shot, interesting images of timely events around the world. Um, not just, you know, some crabstraction. Of all the social media platforms, it's maybe the one I think of least for, like, news or or sort of serious seriousness. I mean, I'm thinking Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram here. But that's, that's you know, that's my fault. That's not because of the platform. Um, but one thing that's sort of touched on in the end of the piece is how photography is a universal language. So where Twitter, and, you know, I... I realize you can share images on Twitter, but it's a very different format. Yeah, it's not like and um, built for it. anywhere in the world, you can connect to Instagram and see images that are sharing the news um, from any other part of the world. You can understand them through the images. You don't have to necessarily be able to read that language or even read. So I feel like I've been really cynical on this podcast, but I, I have to ask you, is this going to put photojournalists out of business? Like, is our free images just going to bankrupt and really mess up in a bad way the, the people who need to be paid to go take photos for the New York Times and everyone? I think it's a really interesting question. Um, in many ways, I think that Instagram supports these photographers. It gives, you know, it gives any photographer... Well, not monetarily. Right, but it gives anyone... It, it potentially can. The opera, Like, the chances are very small, but... In the same way that anyone can put out a YouTube video of themselves doing their demo tape for, you know, singing, it's unlikely so that you're. Justin Bieber was discovered, if, uh, if I'm correct. It's unlikely that you're going to be discovered. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> but the opportunity still exists. So, like, even though, even if you're now one in a million, or you know, many millions, who's um, trying to become a photojournalist. It, the possibility is still there. I think if you already have momentum, if you already have a career, um, it's a platform for you to sort of take that even further. But I think it can be very difficult for photographers who are just starting out and you know trying to get paid for assignments. Mm-hmm. You now have the opportunity to, you know, editors have the opportunity to use Instagram to pull images for events that they're covering all over the world. You know, it it in some ways negates the need to pay people to do that. Right. And I mean, I think one of the, one of the people that you, you spoke to for the piece, a photographer out in L.A. Um, who was, I believe, taking pictures of veterans for the, mm-hmm. for the Wounded Warrior Project, or I guess it was just it was a hashtag of some sort, um, was kind of saying that, like, okay, he was a short order cook. Before his photos went viral, he's still working at the same restaurant like you know said that it hadn't been a means for him to make any money off of these things and I mean to what extent these people are are just kind of amateur photographers who are gaining acclaim or to what extent they actually 
are hoping to be photographers and, and can make a career out of it. Um, you know, I think there's a wide spectrum of, of experience there. I mean, I, I guess better to be surfacing these things and, and getting perspectives from around the world than not. But then again, I guess there, there, there is the counter argument that rights cleared images in the past have come with a fee. It must be strange to be in like a community where disasters happened or some sort of major, you know, event has occurred and you have just like these swarms of people you don't know and have never met like descending and like snapping photos. I think it's really interesting for this idea of the people living in those communities and who are affected can have some role in shaping the way the event is portrayed visually. Mm -hmm. That's like awesome. But yeah, there is this, this issue of, is this going to sort of mess things up money wise? I don't know. But it's, you know, it sort of just depends on, you know, in many ways it's the photo agency of the future, Mm. you know? And so it depends on how you define a photo agency and how you define photojournalism. Yeah. I guess like with most things, it's, you know, we just better, it's just going to happen. You know, it's just happening. Well, I don't think you need to take that kind of like fatalistic thing about it. I that's think with all fatalistic than I meant, with, with yeah. all kind of technology platforms, it does kind of open up a lot more people to, to access to these images. It opens up a lot more access to information around the world. You know, at some point in time, the people like Teru at who who works with photojournalists at Instagram, you know, they they could pivot to helping connect and and sell images to major publications. You know, certainly, I think, and, and Molly, we talked about this a little bit when you were creating the article, but didn't actually make it into the piece, but Kevin, um, who, who started Instagram, had a keen, or had kind of developed a keen interest in photojournalism throughout the, you know, as the, as the platform grew in age. Yeah, I was speaking to someone about, th- at the very beginning of Instagram, how um, Kevin would put out, Kevin Sistrom, the founder of Instagram, would put out a list of uh, photographers, or f- sorry, f- of individuals using the platform, and at that point they were just general users, people taking pictures. Um, and within a year, that list was suddenly photojournalists and people, um, you know, documenting their communities and sharing news and really, um, I mean, photojournalists. Okay, well, I think that that about covers that issue. So, what are we looking forward to in the art? world what's on our radar for me personally i'm looking forward to going to andrea fraser's exhibition at the whitney it's one of their open plan shows so they've just filled this eighteen thousand square foot um column free space with fraser's work which is sound from sing sing prison could be really interesting to just experience that the whitney's getting political with this in the poitras show so that's what i'm i'm hoping to just stand in that room and and see what it's like to be there Molly, what about you? I'm really excited about, well, actually, I already saw it. It's the Marcel Zama Ballet at Lincoln Center. It's with um, New York City Ballet. And Marcel Zama, who I love, uh, worked at the ballet on the sets and the costumes. And it's this really magical ballet. Um, I heard it's coming, coming it back. It is coming back. I saw the last performance, but I know that it's going to be back again this spring. So if you haven't seen it, I definitely urge you to go. It is excellent. Alex? What about you? Um, well, I'm excited about, you know, kind of looking forward after Armory Week, which was great as always. A lot of awesome exhibitions opened. Great, another great addition to the Armory Show, which was directed by Ben Ginocchio for the first time, even though I think he didn't really have all that much time to do that much for this year. Um, but interesting to see what he'll do next. But now it's kind of a nice time to step back, 
maybe get to catch up on some shows in Chelsea and then, you know, focus on things here at Artsy for a few weeks before heading off to Hong Kong at the end of March, or I guess the third week in March. And, uh, yeah, away I'll go again to more art what air, fair. What airline are you flying there? Do you know? It's, it's Cathay Pacific. Cool. I don't have never heard of that one, but... They're supposed to have good service. Exciting. Well, that does it for this week. Thanks to Molly Gottschalk, our fairs editor and associate features editor, and also to Alex Forbes, deputy editor. We got additional support from Abigail Kane, and our producer is the very helpful, very British Joe Sykes. Thanks for listening.